We're in Romans chapter 6. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. I don't know where we're going to go today uh, because of time, but there are some things I want to say. I think they're very important. I think the Word of God is always very important. We've been able to witness some music. Thank you, Steve and Mr. John and, and uh, Gail and, and Bill. I, I, want to learn to play the, I want to learn to play the bass like Bill. Take your Bibles, and if you would read with me this morning, Romans chapter 6. I want to read the passage of Scripture just in case we don't get through. I'll make some quick points. Um, but let's not slight God's Word today because there may be somebody here that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you to move your hearts to make some adjustments in your life. Not just adjustments, but change. And it may not just be change. It may be from death to life. And today we want to honor him with the reading of the word. But before I, I pray today, let's just read that. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And this is what Paul had to say as he was writing to the believers there at Rome. Since we have been uni united with him in his death, we also will be raised to, with, uh, raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves, he's talking to believers, to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. But he says, instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the privilege this morning of spending a few moments listening, hearing from you and you alone. Father, I pray that the words that we speak today would be your words and that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher. That's what I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to skip around in my notes through uh, the time this morning, so if something gets out of whack, don't, don't, don't just get upset. Just sort of pass and say he didn't know any better. But let me just say this. After coming to know Christ, there's, a, there's an enemy that we still face. As a matter of fact, the battle still wages. Even though we are, we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ, there's a battle that still wages. And a couple of those enemies, three of those enemies after trusting Christ, we could say our flesh, that old nature is still there. I mean, even though you're a new creature in Christ, that old nature is still there. That which you were born into, that was in opposition and hostile to the, is, is hostile to the new nature that God has given us. It was Christ in us. But there's also the worldly system, not just the old nature that's still present, but now there's also the worldly system. If you're looking to Greek, it's the word cosmos. It means that which is opposed to God. There's the, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom of darkness is real. It's opposed to God, the allurements, the enticements that attract that old nature that still lies within us. And then there's also the enemy of Satan himself. So you've got the old nature, you've got the worldly system, 
which the scripture calls, the Greek is cosmos, that which is opposed to God, and Satan himself in what Jesus had to say is, listen, they come to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's exactly what they want to do to us as believers, but we've been raised to what? A new life in Christ. We're a new creature in Christ. You know, I was down the river the other day on the Santa Fe with a good friend, Dwight. Some of you know Dwight, Dwight Bain, a counselor. We had a good time counseling each other as we're driving and floating down the river. But as I was floating down the river, I noticed an awful lot of different woodpeckers. Bill, some were small, some were big, and they made an awful lot of noise, but they all did the same thing. Peck, 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 peck. I'd hear that going down the river. I kept hearing it all over the place. You know, there's three things that a woodpecker's doing when he's pecking. One, he might be trying to find a place to build a nest. Another, he might be a territorial issue. Hey, listen, buddy, I'm... You better watch out, I'm here. But the third thing, and you know what this is, most importantly, they're trying to find some food. Looking for a worm, looking for a, a larvae, an insect or something inside of that wood, and they're looking for a soft place. And that's exactly what the devil himself wants to do. He wants to find a place that is weak, a place that he can aim his attention so that he can destroy us. And what I want to do today is I want to just look at four things that are practical. These are practical applications to us living a new life in Christ, recognizing that that old nature is still present. How do we practically overcome the battle of, of sin? How do we, how do, we do that? Um, and so, and the implication that we find within our passages today is that there is a battle and there's a fight that continues. And that first step that Paul mentions for us, and you want to write this down, is there something that we need to know? I want to look back, not just to verse 5, but I want to go back to verse 3 and you look at it with me just for a second. He says, or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ in baptism and we joined with him in his death, that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined with him in death. Listen, there is a new identification in Christ. It's not just turning over a new leaf, but we are a new person, a brand new life, a brand new identification. And part of this new identity involves dying with, with Christ. Tim Keller said this, the pastor and the, and the author, he said, when we believe that we are united to Christ, so what is ever is true of him is now legally true of us. Since Christ died and dead people are freed from sin, so we are freed from sin. And we, know, we need to know this. And look at what he says in verse 6. There are these words. We know. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And we are no longer slaves to sin. The author, the pastor, the writer John Stott says, the person a believer used to be in Adam was crucified. Brian talked about that last week. And this old self was crucified so that our body that had been ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. We are no longer enslaved or under the bondage of sin. And then he says in verse 9, we are sure, we're sure of, there's something that we know, we're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And this knowledge is so important on this journey in Christ. I don't know how familiar you are with instructions. I don't know if any of you read instructions. I'm not really a big instruction reader. Are you guys are good about reading instructions? How many men are good at reading instructions? I'm the guy that always seems to have the bolt or the screw or the nut or something left over when I get to... I'm not the guy you want to call. See, John Humphrey's not here this morning. John Humphrey's is a guy you want to call. Don't call me. I'm not the guy that sort of puts everything together. 
But I don't, I, I don't know if you know what some of the instructions, listen to some of these instructions. These are on everyday, ordinary things that if you were just to read them, you'd read these things. Well, this is what one medication, and listen, don't hold this against me, okay? I'm just reading you what's on the medication. So one medication reads this. You're reading this because you forgot your smartphone when you went to the bathroom, okay? Uh, on, a, on a pair of clothing, it reads this. These shirts were tested on animals and they didn't fit. Go figure that. On a dog shampoo, and you'll like this one, make sure to eliminate all routes of escape when it, uh, in advance before using can be, can be used by men and women. <laughs> oh, my God. On, on a set of furniture instructions, okay, you know those things that you have to put together? Sidestep, make some nachos. Optional but recommended. <laughs> There's another clothing item that says this, wash when dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on a clothes and on a clothes hanger for goodness sake, caution, do not swallow. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I'm not I'm not the guy that you want to ask about instruction because sometimes I just don't get it right. But let me tell you what, the Bible, God's word is full of instructions. There's things inside of God's word that we need to know. Yet how many of us are limited when it comes to knowledge of God's word? The old saying is this, ignorance leads to impotency, helplessness, loss of power. Where in the world do you think the devil wants you to be? He wants you to feel helpless. He wants you to be impotent. He wants you to, be, um, to have that loss of power, to know him. That is what we're supposed to do. The wise people treasure knowledge is what the Proverbs 10, 14 says. To the church at Colossae, God said, listen, live to honor the Lord, please him, produce fruit, grow as you learn to know God better and better. And it was, to, it was, it was Peter that, that said these words to make every effort to, to respond to God's promises. But how in the world can we respond to God's promises if we don't know his promises? The old saying, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this Book. So one of the first steps that I want to say to you this morning, a practical step in, in, in the battle that wages for us as believers is, is knowledge, is, is to know the word, to have a, have a reservoir of scriptures and doctrines that we can call to mind. The psalmist says, what? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you might say, well, Sid, I just, I don't know that much about God's word. Listen, I understand that if you're a new believer. I understand that. That's, that's why we have some of the things that are available to you, whether it's a Bible study on Wednesday night or Wednesday morning, whether it's online or whether it's in person, whether it's maybe um, what takes place on a Sunday afternoon um, in, in, in Heritage University. As a matter of fact, I know that Sheila's getting ready to do a, a, a study here coming up in January about what it looks to, to grow in your faith. But let me just say, we know, we are to know so that we can, we can grow. In verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power. That word, kartigeo, uh, which is in, the, is in the Greek, it means to be destroyed, to be done away with. Um, and he says here that it loses its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. It's like Jesus is saying, hands off. No longer does it have power. And yet, how in the world can we respond to the truth if we don't know the truth? We must know the truth. 
How do we know how to live unless we read what the Scripture has to say? And Paul would go on to write in verse 7, For when we died with Christ, we're set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. In Christ, life is different. In Christ, things change. Priorities change because we're up under new management. Are you up under new management? Do you know Jesus? Because if you know Jesus, you know change. Paul goes on, for we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives and he lives for the glory of God. We could say a great example of this might go back to the book of John, John chapter 11, where we see the story of Lazarus. Here's Lazarus. He's been in a tomb for four days. He's dead. Jesus makes it to the tomb. He says, listen, roll the stone away. Let the man come out. And, and his sister says, what are you talking about? The joker's dead. Man, he's been dead. He's not just dead. He's dead, dead. He's been dead for a long time. He stinks. Dead things stink. Dead things stink. In other words, he's been dead for a while, but Jesus called for the stone to be rolled away in spite of the obvious, and Lazarus walked out. And when he walked out of the tomb, the scripture teaches us that he was still wrapped up in the grave clothes. He was bound up, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And it's the same way for those of us that are in Christ. We are dead, stinking in our trespasses, wrapped up in the bondage of sin, but when we came to trust Christ, we were in essence just like Lazarus, from death to life and from out of the grave that we come. Yet how many of us are still walking around in those same grave clothes, wandering through the cemetery when those things we have been loosed and let go? Amen? Amen. We need to know this because we've been raised to walk in a new Life. And Paul goes on to write in verse 11, so you also should consider, and you might want to underline that word consider, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So we need to know, and then also we need to, to reckon, that word reckon, consider. Um, we need to be able to, to reckon that which is the word says is, is to reckon those things that we hear to be true. And this word reckon, consider, is used several times in the book of Romans. Various parts around the United States, we use the, the word reckon. You, you know, I, I, well, how far is Ocala? Well, I reckon, I, re I reckon it's about 45 minutes or an hour. It means suppose, or I think so, I guess, you know. But that's not what this word means here. The Greek word for reckon, logizomai, means to calculate or consider, to rely on something that is factual. And you do that so that you can determine a clear course of action. What we believe about God's word is that it is truth, and we take that reservoir of knowledge that has been stored up, and we begin to immediately apply it to the situations of life. How often do you go back to God's word and apply it to the situations of life that you face? See, our faith isn't faith until it's being put into practice. We have to practice what we say we believe. It's like knowing that you got money in the bank account and, and endorsing that check and signing your name to it. That is reckoning. I have calculated. I know this to be true. My check is good. Something is factual. 
The writer in Proverbs says, a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you, listen, do, do, do you believe that you're dead to sin and alive in Christ, or do you still believe that you're walking around in those grave clothes? I heard the story of the military officer. They talked about the difference um, in training and the students that they trained in the 50s and the 60s. This guy, was a, he, was a, um, he was an officer and he trained the cadets uh, in the 50s and 60s. And he said there was a big difference. In the 50s, he said the, the students, the guys that he was training, he said oftentimes they would fall asleep. And he said they had a hard time taking notes. He said, but you know, I go back to 1965 and things changed. Things changed and I noticed that the students were not sluggish, but they were very attentive to what I had to teach. They took copious notes. They paid attention. They stayed awake. And they attributed the difference to the students um, paying attention to the fact that the Vietnam War was upon them. Because the students knew that what they were learning and what was being absorbed was the difference between life and death. And there was a sense of urgency. Is there a sense of urgency within your heart when it comes to God's word? You know, so we've talked about we have access to God's word. We are supposed to be, be knowledgeable and we are to take that and, and apply that. The word reckon isn't just a feeling, but it is an act of faith. We don't live according to the lies of the enemy, but there's freedom in truth. I can rely on God's word because it is truth. It is worthy to be stood upon. There is no shaking ground. Regardless of what I might feel at that moment, the word of God is always true. So in these practical steps, we've talked about the knowledge. We've talked about reckoning, holding on to those truths of God's word. Look at what he says there in verses 11 through 13. So, so you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not uh, let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. But instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So maybe a good way to say this might be said, in just don't keep yielding to sin, but say no. Resist. No. I'm not going to do that. I don't, have to, I don't have to do that. I don't have to live that way. I'm not going to give in. You know, you go back to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, and I mean, this guy had some kind of a story. I mean, here he was hated by his brothers. They hated him so much that they, they wanted to kill him. One brother stood up and said, no, man, let's not do that. I don't think that would be really good. So they throw him in a pit, and they, they sell him as a slave, and he ends up, after a period of time, serving as a, as a servant under Potiphar, the leader of Pharaoh's army. Maybe you know the story. Part of her life was looking for love in all the wrong places, and she decided she was going to pick on Joseph. And here's Joseph. Maybe you know it. She made these advances towards Joseph, but what did he do? He resisted. He said no. He said no not only because he wanted to honor his earthly master, but also his heavenly father. But that decision that he made to say no and resist was made long before the temptation ever came. Because he knew who he was, and he knew where he was headed. 
And here in verse 11 through 13, we again, we see that thought of considering ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. You've got, listen, if there's anything that you get, you got to get dead to sin and alive in Christ. And as a result, we aren't to yield or submit our bodies to unrighteousness, to sin or evil. Maybe a better translation might be something like this. Don't use your body as a weapon of unrighteousness. In other words, don't give your body over as a weapon to be used by the enemy as he sees fit. Can you imagine being in a battle, walking up to the enemy, saying, hey, listen, bud, would you hold my weapon while I tie my shoes? I don't think that's going to work. We are to resist See, you know, to do something like that, when we talk about it from that perspective, man, that's crazy. But we are to resist, and the assumption is that we have control or responsibility over the choices that we make on a daily basis. But there's, man, are we always looking for somebody else to blame? No. I mean, well, they made me do it. She made me do it. It's because of my parents' fault. You know, my kids, my mom and dad, the environment, my spouse. It's like the little girl who fell out of bed one night, and a mother heard her screaming, and she ran into Picked her up, said, baby, what's wrong? She said, I don't, I don't know, mama. I think I just got too close to where I got in. You think about that for a little while. Maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. How many of us stay too close to the edge, so close to the edge, instead of saying, no, no, I'm not going to go there. Instead of resisting, we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. So we've talked about knowledge and we've talked, we've talked about reckoning the truth. Yes, it's true. It's factual. And now we've talked about resisting. Let me give you another one. Render. Render. Let me read to you there in verse 13. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer to live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace to render ourselves to God. Romans 12, it says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be living in a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. In the Old Testament, we find multiple times where animals were killed and they were placed on an altar. And that seems easy, I guess. But here's Paul talking about a living sacrifice. Just... Jesus became the sacrifice for us, dying for us. But now we have the privilege of rendering ourselves, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice for him, dying to self. We aren't called just to resist temptation, but we are called to, to present ourselves, our bodies as weapons of righteousness for God's kingdom. And I love this. In other words, every day when we wake up, Man, the devil and his angels should just tremble because they say, oh my goodness gracious, David is up this morning. We got to watch out, guys. We better be on guard. John West is up. All hell's going to break loose. Did I just say that? (laughs) 
But that's what happens in a battle, isn't it? Oh my goodness gracious, I better watch out. Can you imagine what it would be like for every morning to get up with that attitude that, man, look, man, I'm on, I'm on duty. Here I am, Lord, use me. In the Old Testament, there was a ceremony of consecration, and we find in the book of Leviticus when Aaron was being consecrated as Israel's high priest, and Moses had killed a, a ram, and they took the blood, and they put it on the tip of his right ear, and they took that blood, and they put it on the thumb of his right hand, and then they took the blood, and they put it on the big toe on his right foot, and it symbolized cleansing and forgiving of personal sins but it was also signifying that his ears would be willing to hear God's word and that his hands would be willing to do God's word and his feet would be willing to take the message of God wherever he went from head to toe. He was God's instrument. I don't know what you think about when you look at yourself in the mirror, but it was David who yielded himself and he slew Goliath. It was the prophets who would use their mouths to clarify the word of God. And it was Paul who would spread the gospel all over Europe. What's God wanting to use you for? Are you available? I tell a little story and we're done. Talking about the old nature. It's like the lesson that we learn from the dog. I don't have a dog, but I've had the privilege of watching some people train dogs over the years. And, and uh, you, don't, you don't just train a dog by telling him no. You know, that doesn't always work. And I don't know if you know anything about dogs, but if you put food down them in front of them, Bill, you know this, they'll just gobble it up. I mean, it's, you know, they don't just eat a little bit and come back. They're not like a cat. Come back, eat a little bit, come back. You can leave a cat for a long period of time. We've got a cat in the house. You can leave a cat. Can't leave a dog. He'll eat it all up. So the way you train a dog is, is, you, is you take him and you have him focus his eyes on you. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of you, all of a sudden he'll gobble up and he'll get really anxious. But you teach him and you train him to keep his eyes on his master. And when you do, he's calmed down and he, he's able to resist temptation. And boy, isn't this a picture of us. It's a whole lot easier to resist temptation to render ourselves useful for the kingdom when we got our eyes focused on our master. And so you talk about practical application. You know, there are some practical things that we can do in battling, battling this, this issue of sin that still is, is, is available. Even though we're dead to sin and alive in Christ, we don't have to live that way. We are new creatures in Christ. We know, we reckon, we resist, and we render our bodies as a sacrifice to God. And you know, all of this can become second nature. It doesn't have to be something that we wrestle with all the time, especially when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Can we pray? While you got your heads bowed today, let me just ask you this question as a, for those of us that are followers in this room. Just ask the question, God, what are you wanting from me? God, what is it you're wanting from me? Father, I, I pray that our desire is to, is to give our lives completely to you. What a privilege it is for us to watch these videos and see in person 
people's baptism is a symbolism of their being birthed into your kingdom, there is no greater joy than to see God's children walking in truth. But Lord, I know this, that the truth is that we wrestle with that sometimes. Help us to know who we are in Christ. Help us to hold on to the truth, to reckon the fact that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. May parts of our bodies not be used in service to the enemy, but Father, in service to you. May we present ourselves completely to you. Show us how we can serve you. May we be involved in your kingdom work as we keep our eyes on you that sin will no longer be our master. Jesus, I pray today as we get ready to walk out these doors that you would use us. That as we walk through these doors that the devils in hell would tremble and say, oh, good, gracious, a life. They're out. They're out. And they're busy. They're busy working for the master. Jesus, what is it you're wanting from us today? And for the person today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, what is it that keeps them from making the most important decision of their life? Right there where they are today, they have the ability to admit their sin and confess that Jesus is Lord and choose to trust. And if that's you today, I pray that you would come to me or that you would text us let us know how we can walk alongside of you in this journey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.